I want to talk to you again about where we were last week. Where we were was the resurrection, and I want to ask the question. I want to talk to you about what the resurrection does. Uh, not what it did, because it did something, but what it did is still doing. And the, so the reality is that, that the resurrection from the dead accomplished something that had never before been accomplished, and that remains a fixed reality in, in this world. That is to say, it produces within us a brand new way of seeing things, a way that was never possible before. So I'm going to talk to you about what the resurrection does. And as, as I do, I'm going to sprinkle in some thoughts about um, theories and politics and philosophies. And you know me, I'm going to, I'm going to chase some, some of those kinds of rabbits. But let's do the word first. Let's talk about the ascended life. Uh, wonderfully, I did get a question about this text in John chapter 3, uh, where Jesus is talking about uh, salvation. And uh, before we get to that wonderful verse 316, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's telling Nicodemus about uh, the, the age to come. Now, the way in which he's talking to Nicodemus I want, to, I want you to know, I'm saying to you that you and I have entered into what he was telling Nicodemus about. Here it is. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? What things? To the things concerning the spirit that Jesus was speaking. Being born again, uh, experiencing the Holy Spirit in everyone's life. Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? It always makes me feel better when, when rabbis didn't know what they were talking about and they were talking to Jesus. always makes me feel better when anybody doesn't know what they're talking about because all of us don't know what we're talking about in some ways. And I want to tell you, there's probably never been a time when more people are talking who don't know what they're talking about. I'm doing my best to stay in my lane about COVID-19. There's much more that I don't know than I do know. What I do know is that it's changed our way of life. It's changed the world. Uh, what I do know is that it's created misery and sorrow and pain for far too many people. What I do know is that it's created fear. And what I also know is that's exactly what the resurrection comes and deals with. So let's go there. Are you a teacher? You don't understand these things. Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. This is Jesus with that royal we. And, he, and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then he gives this word. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have the life of the age to come. What's called eternal life. Now, uh, there's a lot of fun in here. Nicodemus had come to Jesus and he said, we know you came from God because no one can do what you're doing unless God is with him. So now this is Jesus saying, the reason you don't understand me is because I came from God. The reason you don't understand me is because I'm speaking to you of a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of being that can only come from above. Oh, we're going to talk about heaven today. Yes, we are. We're going to talk about living the ascended life. 
So the ascended life means there's a viewpoint that comes into a, a people who are a people of the Spirit that is only possible because of the Spirit. And it's only possible because the one we're worshiping, though he was dead, he lives. And he spoke to us of things of life or death. No one, no, no one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, son of man. Which Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, the reason you don't understand, the reason you ask, how can these things be, is because you haven't seen from an ascended point of view. You haven't understood from the heavenly perspective. So that's why you don't understand heavenly things. Now, I want to I want to take us back to the future. That is to say, I want Christians once again to understand heavenly things. And in my church, I know that for some of you, I probably scared you off this. Now I'm scaring you back onto it. Never been a time for us to understand heaven more than there is now. Never been a time for us to cling less to what we cannot cling to than now. Never been a time for us to see the world from heaven's perspective than now. This is the hour. This is the time. You're going to live as people who are victorious in a time of uh, economic Discomfort could be economic collapse before it's over, but you're going to live as if you are the lords of the earth, as if you are the heirs of all things, as if nothing is impossible for you, as if you are those who have not a care in the midst of a world where the cares are crushing people. Why? Because of your perspective. It's everything. It's everything. If you live with a descended perspective, you're going to live in the fear. You're going to live in the torment. You're going to live in the anxiety. You're going to live in the anger, even the rage. The God of Mars has never had a greater opportunity than he has at this time to fill people with distrust, rage, and warfare. Let it not be so. Don't foment it. Don't enter into it. Enter into the God of peace, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Enter into the ascended lifestyle. Now, so there's where we start. John 3. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, son of man. This is Jesus. And then Jesus says, as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, the son of man must be lifted up. Now, there's a heavenly thing that no one could think was a heavenly thing. If you remember, the serpent in the wilderness in Numbers 20 was the remedy of God for the curse of death that had come through a, through a plague of serpents upon the children of Israel. And God said, we're going to meet death by going into death. Even as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. As Jesus spoke to us of his death. Even as Nicodemus was hearing those words, it was impossible for him to understand them. Until that moment, that day, when he, Nicodemus, a member of the ruling council of the Jews, would be an eyewitness of the crucifixion of Jesus and would see him lifted up like the serpent on the pole and would see him do what we talked about last week, enter into the curse of death. Why? Because that's where we were. That's where, that's, that's where we were entombed, encased. The whole of humanity was in that place of death, even though alive, they were dead in trespasses and sin. So Jesus enters into death. For what purpose? Well, you know the purpose. You know the word of God. 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So he did something. He's speaking of it here, and I love it. So what Jesus does to Nicodemus, he says, well, I'm talking to you about heavenly things. And then he says something else that Nicodemus couldn't possibly understand. He talks about this experience of Moses lifting the serpent on the pole. We start there. Now we leave there and we come to where we have been in Ephesians chapter 2. And where we were, as we've been really for weeks, as I've been kind of hammering this out. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. This is Paul on the other side of the cross with a with an understanding of the cross. Listen to what he says. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Which is to say, what was formerly impossible for us became normal. That is, what Nicodemus could not see, now we can see. He raised us up with him. Uh, By grace, you've been saved. Saved from what? From your death. From what death did to your mind. From what death does to your mind. From the fear of death and from the chains of death. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. Don't miss this. No one has ascended into heaven except him who descended. So Jesus was the one who descended, having already been ascended. He descended to be with us. When Jesus ascends back to the Father, what he literally dared to put in the minds of his apostles was that his ascension was ours. What does that do? That makes possible for us to live and breathe and think with the mind of Christ. That makes possible for us to have a heavenly perspective. It was not accessible to us. It could not be reached by us. But when Christ again ascended, he took us with him and made us alive. You're not dead. You're no longer in death. The fear of death has no grip on you. Now, I am not saying that in order to make you live in opposition to the measures that our government is asking us to take. I'm asking you to live above the measures the government is asking us to take, which is to say, to submit to the care of all people freely, joyfully, with the understanding that we don't have to be afraid. We take care for one another. Listen, the, the things that we're being asked to do are nothing more than being asked to love one another. Christians should be the last people in the world grumbling against that. Now, let's talk. <laughs> so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Right now, Christian person, you're on display. If you're grumbling, again, I keep saying this, you got to stop. Now, hear me, because if you talk to me, you're gonna you're gonna hear you're gonna think you're hearing you're hearing two Allens. I'm the guy that's both saying, yes, we have to submit to this hard season, and I'm also saying we can't stay here forever. We can't stay here forever. So listen, you wanna you wanna do the right thing? Pray. Pray for what? This curse of death to be removed. Pray for this curse of this disease 
to be overcome. More than anything, pray for the fear of this thing to be so overcome that we can take the measures that are going to require. Sooner or later, some measures of bravery are going to be required. Sooner or later, some measures of people that are emboldened are going to be required. For now, we're in a situation where what is required of us? Encourage one another, love one another, serve one another, give to one another. I'm going to come to all that before I'm done. But I always like to tell you where I'm going before I get there. So Jesus had an attitude that was not possible for, um, for Nicodemus. Then Jesus now has an attitude that was possible for all of us. What was impossible for Nicodemus, the way of thinking, the ascended way of thinking is now possible to us. And what I'm going to say to you is that historically, the Christian church thrives because of getting hold of this. Now, it's not automatic. It always requires apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to come and tell people, hey, think like those that are alive from the dead, not the, for like those who are fearing death. Think like those who are risen and seated with Christ in heavenly places, not like those who are in chains of defeat and despair. So we have to do it. it. But there have been wonderful moments in history when Christians have done it. So listen to me, this is our hour. This is our time. This is the time that all the time, you're, you get told about these things, that there was an awful season, war. This is pestilence, by the way. I know why people send me stuff. Uh, I, I know why people ask me questions because I get asked questions every day uh, about, about what's behind this all the time because everybody wants to look behind the curtain. And we all, listen, I, I just want to say something to you. Would you please look behind the heavenly curtain instead of behind, instead of behind the curtain of here on earth looking for the boogeyman. There's plenty of boogeymen to be found. But you and I, would you please let us look to what Christ is doing. Let us look to what he's calling us to do. And he isn't calling us to sow suspicion and fear and anger and wrath. He's calling us to sow generosity and love and compassion and perseverance and endurance and that overcoming uh, kind of goodness. And what a season this is. <laughs> Why? Because let's look at this one more thing. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. So I did John 3. I did Ephesians 2, now Hebrews, Hebrews 2, and then some exhortations. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That is to say, human beings. In this case, the writer of Hebrews is writing specifically to Hebrew Christians 
who, who had given their lives to Christ. And then listen, the difficulties of their life were causing their faith to falter. All the time people will say to me that, uh, you know, uh, well, no, from time to time, someone will say to me, I had a lot of faith and I was strong in my faith. And then my mother died. Something like that. And what they'll say is, my heart was shattered by the loss of somebody that I love so much. My mother died. And they'll literally be talking to me about having lost their faith. And I will say, what was it about your mother dying that made you lose faith in the one who conquered death? Because I don't understand. I want you to help me understand. What I'm saying to you is that the uniqueness of the Christian faith is that it addresses the core human problem. People say, I can't believe in a God who allows all this stuff. Well, it's the only one I have. And I believe in the God who did something about all this. Your mother's death is not final because of Jesus Christ. Your mother's death is not the last story about God because of Jesus Christ. The sure and final story about death was revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the so what to the miseries of life. He's the so what to all these things. When people send me uh, their objections, their fears, their trials, or when people send me things that weave stories of the darkness that is behind this, because listen, there's always darkness behind this. When people tell me those stories, I'm always asking this, okay, now tell me so what? Tell me the so what? What's the so what of what you think is behind the curtain? What's the so what of, of <laughs> oh, I could go down the list, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> what is the so what? Is this, if the so what does not do something in you that creates Christ-likeness, I ain't interested at all. If the so what that's behind you, if what it does is cause you to want to to, to want to act in ways that are not becoming of Jesus Christ, then I'm not interested at all. The so what of, of the death of Jesus Christ is what it did. The so what was it dealt with the one thing that held us in chains all our life. Now listen, the fear of death is writ large across the world right now. And I know somebody's out there saying, well, I ain't fearing death, I'm fearing dying. Okay, I get it. But what you're really fearing is the death of somebody you love. What you're really fearing is the loss of everything you have. It still is the fear of death. So I'm determined that I'm gonna live in, counter, in a counter spirit to what's going on. I'm gonna live in confidence in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna live in confidence in what God is doing in the world. I'm gonna live in confidence that the Lord is bringing forth his glory. And I'm gonna live in confidence that if I die, it's not the end. And if uh, those that I love die, it's not the end. Now, because the death of Jesus, the so what of the resurrection is, I'm not afraid anymore. Now you think what, what this is doing, and literally what the writer of Hebrews is saying, 
He's saying to them, if you get hold of what has gotten hold of you, then you won't be thinking what you're thinking. You won't be thinking about turning back if you really understand the death of Christ. If you really understand that he entered into the thing that you're struggling with the most so he could help you there. He has come to help you. And so that verse that bolstered me so young and so early, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is more relevant now than it has ever been in my life. It's more relevant now as I preach to a congregation scattered all over the place and, and in their homes and taking measures. It's more relevant now than it's ever been. By the way, that passage literally addresses the economics Because when Paul wrote that passage, he was talking about his own economic situation. Whether I speak from abundance or whether I speak from lack. Whether I have everything or whether I have nothing. And he's saying, because you see, I've learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is why we're dialed into. There's one, what can we do? We can help. Boy, when I talk to people around the world that are serving Christ, all I hear is, well, we're, we're helping people. When I heard from my old friend, um, uh, Simpson, what are they doing in India? They're feeding the poor. When I heard from my old friend, Danielle and Emily up in Nepal, what are they doing? They're ministering to people who are poor. When I hear from my newer friend, Samson, what are they doing? They're caring for the needs of the poor. What is God calling us to do in this hour? Care for needs. So listen, one of the things we're doing, we're devoted to helping see to it that all our congregation gets through it. What you're doing where you are is seeing to it that your children get through it, your neighbors get through it. Seeing to it that that, that somebody that you know gets through it. Listen, even if you can't pour into a benevolence offering, you can be benevolent. You can be benevolent where you are. When I talk to my friend Johnny Buckner in Starkville, all he's doing is telling me how he's on the phone all the day. He's on the phone with city and county officials, and he's and he's talking to the mayor and the police chief and to the the ministry center that are that are um, uh, pouring into people. And, he, and listen, Starkville, Mississippi is a college town. It means the people are gone, the tax base is gone, the, the place is suffering in a whole unique way. And every time I talk to Johnny, he's like. He's, he says, Alan, you, you do all this theorizing about what's behind thing. He, he says, I, I don't really have time to do it. Thanks for doing it for me. <laughs> and, and, and what is he doing? He's looking at what is created by what is. What's the new reality that's created by what is? And how can I be Jesus in the new reality? And how can I walk without the fear of death? That's what this whole thing is about. It's about how do we, how do we not fear death? Now, I also teach theology, and right now I've been teaching theology, and one of the things that I did was I told my students, I want them to, instead of reading about theologians, I want them to read the theologians that changed history. One theologian that changed history is a guy named Athanasius, and anybody who knows anything about Christian history, when they get to studying, the name Athanasius will come up as a bishop of the church in the fourth century, as a bishop who arose at a time when the truths of Christianity were being questioned like never before. And he wrote a treatise, the actual first treatise ever written, what's called On the Incarnation. I had my students read that and, and, and write reports on it. Now, this is so, so helpful right now because 
when he wrote that thesis, here's what he said. Christ became one of us so that he could deal with what's on all of us. Now listen, he then didn't go to the proof of the resurrection in the way that we think. He went to the proof of the resurrection, not by the means of uh, how the resurrection was proved by the biblical witnesses, but how the resurrection is proved by you and me. And it thrilled me because what have I been telling the congregation? I've been telling the congregation, the only proof there is of God is you. You either prove or disprove God every day in your life. The only evidence that he is alive is you're you're being alive and he's alive in you. And whether you're living an ascended lifestyle or a descended lifestyle. The descended lifestyle is self-centered, angry, afraid, and destroyed. And listen, I do know that some of my brothers and sisters in Christ can descend into a descended mindset. And I'm saying to you, Wake up, O oh sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you like I preached the other day and like I'm going to preach again today. And so what was interesting was what Athanasius did was he was talking about the proof of the resurrection uh, or the proof of Christ being in, in them. Let me read to you, and I'll actually uh, place it where you can read it with me. This is an ancient writing. He said that death has been dissolved and the cross has become victory over it and that it is no longer strong, but is itself truly dead. Death is dead. No mean proof, but an evident surety is that it is despised by Christ's disciples and everyone tramples on it and no longer fears it. But with the sign of the cross and faith in Christ, tread it underfoot as if something dead. <laughs> Of old, before the divine sojourn of the Savior, all used to weep for those dying as if they were perishing. But since the Savior's raising the body, no longer is death fearsome, but all believers in Christ tread on it as nothing and would rather choose to die than deny their faith in Christ. For they really know that when they die, they are not destroyed, but both live and become incorruptible through the resurrection. And that the devil who formerly exalted wickedly in death, its pangs having been loosed, only he remains truly dead. You get that from this fourth century bishop? And the proof is that human beings, and the proof is that human beings before believing in Christ view death as fearsome and are terrified at it. But when they come to faith in him and to his teaching, they so despise death that they eagerly rush to it and become witnesses to the resurrection over it, effected by the Savior. What? <laughs> For even while they are still young in stature, they hasten to die. And not only men, but also women practice practice for it with exercises. It has become so weak that even women who are formerly deceived by it now mock it as dead and paralyzed. For as when a tyrant has been defeated by a legitimate king and bound hand and foot, all those that then pass by mock him, hitting and reviling him, no longer fearing his fury and barbarity because of the victorious king, 
In this way, death also, having been conquered and placarded by the Savior on the cross, and now bound in hand and foot, all those in Christ who passed by it, trample on him and witness to Christ they mock death jeering at him and saying what was written above oh death where is your victory oh hell where is your sting this was a bishop of the fourth century as he was exhorting the people of God as he was exhorting them to not live in fear of death there have been examples of this now and you and you don't want to miss it uh, One of the reasons that the earliest Christian church um, prevailed while other faiths were dying. I'm going to tell you something that comes from this. And I'm going to tell you something that later in Athanasius writing, he himself talks about. So so I'm going to give you uh, actually a couple of reasons. Uh, Rodney Stark and I don't know if uh, Dr. Stark is still living. Uh, he used to live in Corrales. And uh, I tried on a number of occasions to find out how I could interview him. Rodney Stark has written a number of books, um, sociology books, dealing with the veracity of the Christian witness in history, dealing with um, such things as Christianity and the rise of science, Christianity and the other religions and, and Christianity and why it spread so abundantly. One of his books is called The Rise of Christianity. There's actually two versions of it, a small one and a large one. But in it, there's a chapter about plagues. And what he noted in his chapter about plagues was overcoming the fear of death so impacted those early Christians that whenever someone in their company perished, or I want to say perished, fell under the the sickness of a plague, and in those days, listen, the plagues that went through killed 20, 30, 40% of the population. Nothing like what we're dealing here. But one of the reasons that, that um, one of the things that following Christ did was it put such an absence of the fear of death in people that they cared for, Those who are sick, even if by no other means than washing their wounds and giving them food and water. And uh, yes, uh, helping them be clean. He said those measures lowered the death rate among the believers tremendously. And because, you see, those who had pagan religions in those days... uh, They were terrified by death because they had murky, strange beliefs about what happened after you die. But because the Christians had an ascended view of dying, they lived without the fear of death and by doing so conquered and, and, and the Christian faith spread. Now, healthcare wise, things have changed so dramatically that the exact thing that they did is not the exact thing that we do. What's for you to do is, is to say, okay, now what shall you do as a person no longer fearing death? Well, you're going to speak life instead of death. You're going to speak hope instead of despair. You're going to be generous like you've never been before. You're going to be willing to endure hardship because you're doing it for one another. 
You're going to do the best you can do to stay connected in wholesome, healthy ways. By the way, there's some benefits <laughs> to this horrible plague. I, you'll forgive me, but I was thinking hardly anybody gets drunk and stupid and goes has a night of wild sex with a stranger. Why? Fear of death. Why? Social distancing. I thought, well, Lord, even in the midst of this, there's a good outcome. You lowered the stupidity significantly. Lots of things have happened that have changed things. They're not all bad. Enter into what you can of what's blessed. Enter into it with joy. Enter into it with love. Enter into it with hope. Enter into it with peace. Enter into it with triumph. All right, now let's go a little further. By the way, I'm not opposed to any of you trying to look behind the curtain and say, is there something worse going on than what we think is going on? I'm not opposed to it. I'm simply going to say to you, tell me the so what. I can tell you the so what of the gospel I'm preaching. And I can tell you why it's a time now, like never before, for Christians to say, we have the answer to plagues. We have the answer to death. We have the answer to chaos. We have the answer to despair. We have the answer. The life we have in Christ has done something marvelous for us. Now, there was another thing and was in Athanasius. And I didn't cut and paste much of it. I actually I cut and pasted very little of it. But um, uh, let me read to you one little thing. For where Christ and his faith are named, there all idolatry is purged away. Every deceit of demons is refuted, and no demon endures the name, but fleeing only hearing it disappears. This is not the work done by one dead, but one alive, and especially of God. It would be absurd to say that the demons cast out by him and the idols brought to not nothing uh, are dead. And yet to say that the one who chases them away and by his own power makes them not appear, but is confessed by all as the son of God, that that one is dead. Here, here's what he said in case you missed it. He said, one of the things that we're seeing because of Christ is people fleeing idolatry and the demons that are behind them. And he says, we see the demons being cast out everywhere. I've told my church this before, but when you enter into it in the fourth century, he said, I'm the proof. He's what he's saying. What I, he's saying, we're the proof of the resurrection. And the proof is because he's so alive in us that when we say his name, demons are cast out, idols are cast down, and people are set free, and dead people don't set dead people free. And a dead Christ cannot bind demonic powers, hands and foot. Now, it's an interesting thing. We live in a day where people don't believe in those spiritual powers and yet are controlled by them all the time. You see it manifested in rage. You see it manifested in fear. You see it manifested normally in avarice and lust. Always behind that is a spirit controlling people and you and I have the power over them. So speak the name of Jesus to people as to, as to send the tormenting demonic spirits that they're feeing, uh, that they're being controlled by to flight. But there's more. There's more. A quick survey, 
And then we're going to take communion together and be done. A quick survey of the rest of the book of Ephesians gives us this. The awakened sleeper. What is the awakened sleeper? The awakened sleeper is someone who has an ascended lifestyle, an ascended point of view. So Paul, he preaches theologically to them three chapters of theology. He's my patron saint, Paul is, because he does theology, because Paul believes that great theology produces great people. Paul believes that great theological uh, exposition creates indestructible people who live authentic moral lives. So the awakened sleeper, Ephesians 4 through 6, in that Ephesians 4, I've read to you the passage, I won't read it this morning, it says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, which is Paul saying, now that I've given you a foundation, open your eyes. Well, what will that do? Well, he says, number one, it's going to cause you to redeem the time. That is to say, and he tells them, don't spend your time getting drunk, spend your time getting filled. Don't spend your time taking drugs, getting drunk, checking out, living in misery, living in inward fear, tormenting yourself because you're tormented. He says, spend your time receiving from the Spirit. And he tells you, when you do, what's going to flow out of you is not, is not banal life, but beautiful spirituality and, and Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs like, like Charlie and the team has beautifully led us in this morning and week after week. And then he says this one phrase, submitting to one another. Ah, boy, do we hate that. I got news for you. You're learning to submit. <laughs> You're learning to submit right now. You're learning to submit. And, and listen, while I will... Speak with those who say, um, don't give in to all things. I will speak and say, no, no, there's a time to submit. I have submitted myself. I am living a submitted lifestyle. I'm submitting to one another out of the fear of Christ. And then he gives examples. He gives the examples of how a submitted lifestyle looks between a husband and a wife. To a husband, the husband submits to the wife with bathing her with love and the wife submits to the husband bathing him with honor. He says, this is how you live. Fathers and children, what a time. So listen, what a time for your marriage. What is your time for your marriage? <laughs> You're stuck. You're stuck. Hey, actually get stuck. Get engaged. Get connected. Get healed. Get whole. Get restored, husbands and wives. <clears throat> Bathe her with love. Bathe him with honor. Fathers and children, let's get rid of the exasperation and get involved in the connection. Let's, let's get away from the, the, the raging at the children and the railing at your parents. Get connected. Here's what, this is what he says. An awakened person does these things. An awakened person lives in the spirit. An awakened person lives a submitted life. An awakened person lives in relationships. And then the, the slave and the free is powerful and powerless. If you're powerful right now, if you have power, think of those who are powerless. If you have, if you have the, the ability to, <clears throat> to pay people who need to be paid, pay them. 
If you have the ability to encourage them, encourage them. If you have the ability to help them, help them. This is a great time to be a Christian. So redeeming the time, submitting to one another, and standing against the enemy. Yes, care about the curtain. But understand this, always behind the curtain is the serpent and his power. And he's been defeated. And you're fully equipped to be able to deal with him. So don't submit to lies. Don't submit to the internal self-destruction. But stand against the wiles of the enemy. One more word from Athanasius. Is this then a meager proof of the weakness of death? Or is it a feeble demonstration of the victory over it wrought by the Savior? When boys and young girls in Christ despise this present life and practice dying, for by nature human beings are afraid of death and the dissolution of the body. But this is the most amazing thing, that one who has put on the faith of the cross scorns even things according to nature and is not afraid of death because of Christ. And is not afraid of death because of Christ. Are we going to die, Mommy? I don't know, children. But I know in Christ, we're not going to die. I know in Christ, we have put on victory over death. I know in Christ, we are able to overcome. I know in Christ, we are not conquered. I hope that by now on these services, you've become accustomed to the fact that I'm going to prepare and serve for you um, the, the table of the Lord. Why? Because it's time to receive. You're not here. I can't lay my hand on you. I'm not really interested in you laying your hand on your screen. I am interested in you receiving. I want you to receive to the fullness. And the most common way that we receive is eating and drinking. Every one of us, every day, life does. Life is not determined by eating and drinking, but eating and drinking is a necessary act of living. And Jesus entered into our eating and drinking because he wants to give himself to us. He wants to give himself to you. So listen, right now, today, okay, you say, well, pastor, you don't know I got drunk last night. Well, you're not gonna get drunk this morning. You're gonna receive Christ. You don't know, pastor, I haven't been submitting in the, in the, in the spirit of Christ. Well, you're gonna submit to Christ right now. You don't know, I haven't been uh, loving my wife, honoring my husband. Well, you're gonna love Christ and honor Christ now. You don't know, I've been exasperating my children. Well, you're not gonna be an exasperating child right now. You don't know, I've been fearing the loss of my power. Well, you don't have any power now. Here, every one of us stands before Jesus or sits before Jesus. We are weak and frail, but we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he has given to us a meal whereby he intends to minister himself to us. And so Jesus is coming to you today through the bread and through the cup. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving myself to you. Receive me. I am coming to you. Open yourself to me. 
And so this morning, Jesus, I'm going to receive you. And as I do, I'm going to think about the direction of my life, the position of my mind, the relationships of my family, the distancing that has brought to me a pain I did not know before. And I'm going to realize that you're coming near. And so I say to you that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He gave himself on the night he was betrayed. He said, this is my body which is giving for you. If you're sick today, I want you to receive the body of Christ. He is not sick. I want you to receive the living, broken, wounded body of Christ. He is not sick. The body of Christ. Jesus, thank you that you are giving yourself to us. We do the only thing we know how to do. We say yes, and we say thank you. Body of Christ is given for us. your life has been marked in your isolation as by failure I hope that you have said nope even in my failure I'm coming to him who has not failed for me because there's forgiveness in Christ this is the new covenant he said in my blood which is shed for you new covenant provides forgiveness of sins new covenant provides the life of the Holy Spirit. New covenant provides victory over death. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And he gave to them a cup. A cup which he called the blood of the covenant. Jesus, thank you this morning. Thank you for your life. I receive, I receive. Do not be afraid. Do not be angry. Do not be cast down. Rise with Christ. Sit with him in heavenly places. And behold life from a whole new perspective. I love you. We're going to be doing the Zoom prayer meetings and Zoom Bible studies. We'll make those known to you as best we can. We're going to do more than we've been doing. All that's wonderful. But this is the moment right now. This is the moment. The presence of God Linger on your people, presence of God. Bless your people. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May you look full in his wonderful face. And may he give you peace. Shalom, shalom.